Psalm 32. We've talked uh, a couple of uh, different ways about surrendering our lives to the Lordship of God. And Psalm 32 today, I think we see this incredible weight of guilt that's on David. I'll get to that text in just a moment. First off, happy Father's Day to those of you that are here. Um, and to those of you that have a father that you can reach out to today and say, uh, happy Father's Day, Dad. We encourage. That's awesome. Some of us are not in that situation. And uh, so we're grateful for the times that we had. I don't want to come off like a conspiracy theorist, and I know I've got you all on edge saying that on this day in June 2020. <laughs> But uh, a friend of ours posted this on Facebook, and I was inclined to agree. He said, in the market for a product? Question mark. Autumn, this is your dad. Do a Google search or an Amazon search, and then just wait for all the options to show up in your social media feeds. <laughs> um, it's no secret that the companies with whom we do business, I'm going to grab this just because of wind. I know you all wish there was more wind. But uh, it's no secret that the companies with whom we do business and the technology and information superhighway that we use regularly has a lot of information stored on us. <laughs> now, we depend on this. It's increasingly difficult, we recognize, to get off the grid. That's almost a pipe dream. And yet, they don't know everything. As much as we think they know, they don't know everything. They only know what we allow them to know and what we publish and what we produce. And I know that like me, you read every word of those disclaimer agreements as you click agree so you can get to that download. No. Uh, I'm like, yes, yes. Like I've, I've gotten up to be a master at scrolling fast and then clicking agree. I, I've got to confess, I've done that more times probably than I should have. But the scriptures, the Holy Bible, introduces us to the magnificent, majestic, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing creator and sustainer of the universe. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that he knows when we sit down and when we rise up, he discerns our thoughts even from afar off. Google, Facebook, even the NSA don't have an edge on the telescope of God's all-seeing eye. David knew he had sinned. He knows that God knows it too. Now you may recall how we wound up at Psalm 32. Some of you are thinking, I wonder what he blew and wound up here. Well, this is how he got here. 2 Samuel 11 and 12 records for us how we wind up at this. And actually you come by way of Psalm 51 as well. While armies went off to war and kings were known for going to battle, the Bible says David stayed behind in Jerusalem at a time when he should have been on the front lines. But he stayed behind. He seduced an officer's wife. And when she became pregnant, David arranged for her husband Uriah to be killed in battle. David, at this point, if you're keeping track, has uh, coveting, adultery, murder, and lying on his hands. He tried to hide his sin from God. He tried to hide his sin from others. Nathan, the prophet, confronts him. And David's confession we find in Psalm 51. If you don't have Psalm 51 noted somewhere outside the margin of Psalm 32, do it. Please, take a moment. It's a good time to write in your Bible. 
Owen's got a new one. This is a good first note in there. Psalm 51. That's David's confession. This is a place where I, Chad, not, not your pastor, your brother in Christ, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I, I typically don't lead them in a repeat after me prayer. I will point them to Psalm 51 and say, this is what repentance looks like in the Bible. You may pray something along that line. Let's look at it together. It's a great place to go if you've got time. Psalm 51. But this Psalm, Psalm 32, is a mascal. It's a teaching Psalm. There's good reason to think that this flows out of David's commitment in Psalm 51 because in that Psalm, he said, I'm going to teach transgressors the way. And that's exactly what he does here. Let me remind you that when we first come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's in response to the convicting work of the person of the Holy Spirit showing us, listen, the awfulness of our own sin and rebellion against the Holy God. And yet showing us that this holy God still loves us and is calling us unto himself. God radically saves us. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous light. The very real challenge is this. Even though we sin less, we are not sinless. We're not perfect. Even if we have been Christians for a long time, all of us sin. As we grow and mature in Christ, we begin to understand that some of our deep feelings of sorrow that we seem to constantly struggle with actually arise from events in our past that were sin. This realization and the guilt that comes with it can either do one of two things, lead us to true repentance, which glorifies God, or destructive bitterness and stone-cold callousness. So we appeal to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that God has provided a means for removing guilt and opening the way for us believers to know the blessings of a right relationship with Him. This morning, I'm going to endeavor, and it's been a challenge this week, hear me, to let the text set the outline in its purest form. I will give a care at the end to how we might apply this text today, especially with the current plight before us as we are still reeling from the heinous sin and expression of sin, of racism, when it strikes at the very core of God's power as creator and his reconciling role as high priest. But if we let the text set the tone for the sermon this morning, three headings, they're simple. You ready? Number one. The blessing of forgiveness. Number two, the process of forgiveness. And number three, the result of forgiveness. Simple enough. You say, we got it, pastor. We think we know where those go. Shut her down. Nope. Nope. I'm going to preach a little bit, okay? Let's look first at the blessing of forgiveness. Look back at the text, verses one and two. We won't go through every line and every word of the text coming back through. We've had it read. You have it in front of you. And I know that you'll spend time reading it this week. But let's look at those verses, please. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against the Lord, whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There's a blessing here. There's an old 
ter- bad theology, but it's got a catchy tune to it. Uh, Southern gospel song. There's a miracle with my name on it. <laughs> There's a blessing with your name on it. It's called forgiveness. There's a double blessing here for those who are forgiven. This is better than anything you can imagine. There is joy, unspeakable and full of glory to know that we know that we know that our sins have been forgiven, that we have been washed clean, that we are on the Lord's side, that God is for us, that he is kind and he is merciful and he is loving. Of the roughly six different forms for the word sin used in the Bible, David gives us three in two verses here. It's remarkable. David uses three different verses, three different words, rather, for sin. The first is transgression. Do you see it there? Blessed is the one who's transgression. This has to do with rebellion. If you're not for God, you are against God. If you're not for the Bible, being as authoritatively inspired and infallible and without any mixture of error, then you pick and choose parts that you like. We see it all the time. In unfortunately, what passes under the guise of Christianity. The census may give you all manner and layer of choices to choose on where you stand in your faith system. But the Lord says, who's on the Lord's side? Choose you this day whom you will serve. We started out in a posture of rebellion to God. And everybody that's not been washed in the blood of Jesus is in a position of rebellion against the holy God. We transgress the law. David mentions that right here. We are siding with the enemy. We're ruining not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. The second word he uses is sin. You say, well, that's kind of a general word. Well, this sin here is the word for missing the mark. It's the picture. I'm thinking of the Theos this morning, and uh, one of the Theos might be on the pitcher's mound this morning. We're not sure. But it's the pitcher whose form is perfect and whose follow-through is excellent, but the ball bounces four times before it hits home plate and is also outside. It's the archer pulling back the bow, letting loose the arrow, and his, his aim seems right, but he digs up the dirt well in advance of the target. We miss the mark. We try and fail. One is we rebel against God. One is we try and fail. And then iniquity, this is crookedness and perversion and waywardness. There's no need to really even unpack other forms of sin. You say, what are the other three? You know what? I I dare say we've all three been nailed right here. (laughs) Um, It doesn't take much. There's a way of sharing uh, the gospel of folks. One of the methods used to to engage somebody, maybe somebody you don't know and won't see again, is to use the law to bring them to guilt. And maybe even the Ten Commandments, you've probably heard of this, you've seen it. But uh, just this form of an illustration, imagine a young lady sharing the gospel. She goes up to talk to a fellow. She says, do you think you're a good person? He says, yeah, I know I'm a good person. She says, how do you know? He says, well, I follow the rules. I don't get into trouble. I treat people well and I'm nice. She says, do you think the Ten Commandments are a good place to measure goodness? He said, sure, yeah, that's fine. And then she starts. Some of you know this. Some of you know the script from here, but it's ever told a lie. No, 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 I don't don't lie. I tell the truth. You've never told a lie? Well, I mean, you know, we've all told a lie. 
but it was just little lies. It wasn't a big lie. How many lies does somebody have to tell before they're a liar? And he goes, gulp, right? And she says to him, well, have you uh, ever stolen anything? He said, no, I'm not a thief. She said, you've never taken anything that doesn't belong to you? You've not taken something from work on purpose and didn't take it back on purpose? You thought, ah, they won't miss it. I'll just keep it. You didn't take a cookie when you were a kid? I'm thinking of, you know, the comedy bit from years ago. I was getting a cookie for you, Daddy. Oh, you weren't. <laughs> well, yeah, I've taken little things. Okay, okay. Have you ever looked on a woman with lust? He says, yeah, well, what red-blooded man hasn't? What Jesus said in the New Testament to look on a woman and lust after was to commit adultery in your heart. And then she lowers the boom and says, by your own admission, you've told me that you're a lying, stealing adulterer. And we've hit three of the Ten Commandments. Now, how is it that you think you're going to get into heaven? You see, it doesn't take much for us to know that we're sinners. When you look at the holiness of God and the purity of his word, we can see that we're sinners. David here knows that he sinned and he's come to the Lord and now he's teaching us about this. Whether, the trans, whether it's transgression, sin, or iniquity, or any other word used to describe it, the Bible says that there's none that seek after God. We have all turned aside. Together we become corrupt. There's none that does good. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, 12, we've all turned aside. Together we become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3, 23, you know it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But can I bring your attention to the way that text started? Blessed, blessed. The focus here is not on the nature of sin, although we listed them, it's on the completeness of forgiveness the bible says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. David, the Bible matches these three types of sin with three words for pardon. Look back at the text. It says the transgression is forgiven. That word is nasa. It literally means to carry away. It says their sin is covered. That word is kisa. It means it's atoned for, it's hidden, it's concealed, and we know it's concealed by blood. And then the last word there is he counts no iniquity. You see it? Against whom the man, the Lord, counts no iniquity. That word is hashashah. It means reckoned. It's an accounting term. It's the same term used in Genesis 15 when the Lord counted Abraham as righteous church we're blessed we're happy we're joyful who is blessed happy and joyful the forgiven the forgiven are blessed the deceit mentioned here at the end of this and in whose spirit there is no deceit is not about lying to others this is about lying to yourself and lying to god here's my question for you as we move now to the process of forgiveness in verse three are you being honest with yourself have you been honest with god Let's let the text peer into our souls this morning. David talks about the burden of guilt. A few sub notes under that. 
Again, I, I've done that to you a couple times. I said, here's three simple words, and then one of them's got several subs. The second one has a few subs. Under the process, I would write the burden of guilt in verses 3 and 4. Can you see the text here? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Some burdens are so heavy that they seem to consume all of our strength. No burden is heavier than the burden of guilt. And perhaps nobody ever carried such a heavy burden than the guilt of King David. What we've described here in verses 3 through 4, this heaviness, this brokenness, my bones are crushed. I'm, I'm despairing, I'm groaning. That's a far cry from the first two verses with the happiness and the joy and the blessing experienced by comprehensive forgiveness. David's going to walk us through the process now. Notice his stubborn silence paved the way for agony. His stubborn silence paved the way for agony. This is guilt doing a number on him. I want you, it's my prayer this morning, that this text makes you miserable. Isn't that fun? Thank you, Pastor. Could you pray something else, please? Let's get him a book on prayer. I want you to feel the weight of guilt on yourself this morning. If you have unconfessed sin, it's my prayer that you won't leave that way this morning. David said, I felt like my life was leaving my body. What we've described here is this guilt doing a number on him. So what do you do with your guilt? Will you ask the Lord to show you your sin? Will you confess or will you hide? Somebody said trying to hide our sin is like putting wallpaper on a moldy wall. It's not going to end well. It might look good for a moment. Look at the relief of confession in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What does it mean to confess our sins to the Lord? What does that mean? You know what that means? It means to agree with God about them. Before David came to the point of confession, he and God were on opposite sides concerning his sin. God was condemning his sin and God is condemning your sin this morning. My sin this morning. David was defending himself by rationalizing and excusing himself. Is that where you are? Is that the posture? This is not that big of a deal. Nobody will know I'm not hurting anyone. Nobody needs to know how I think about this issue. The Lord knows better than Facebook, better than the NSA, better than Google. He knows exactly what's going on inside. Confession means that you stop fighting against God. You stop lying to yourself and lying to God and go to God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, praise God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're here in the process of forgiveness. We see the burden of guilt. We see the relief of confession. Now look at the wisdom and advice for the forgiven. Just notice with me, if you will, just look at verse 6. I'm going to give you a little summary now for time's sake on a few of these verses. David here in verse 6 mentions the, uh, the rush of great waters, the calamity. That's the word picture that's used there. 
Basically, he's saying, don't wait until the floodwaters come in to try to deal with your sin and your problems then. Has that ever bitten anybody? I was in insurance for several years and we had a wonderful assistant. I believe I shared this story recently. I might have shared it with Christy. She's heard all my stories three times now. That's the challenge of her working in the office here. But uh, I was working in insurance, great assistant, and she would put a file. There were three of us agents in the office. And occasionally uh, she would put a file from, a, from an insured in our inbox and she would put one of those little squeaky alligator toys. Have you seen them? The, right, the little squeaky alligators. She would put a small one in the inbox on top of the file. She would kind of paperclip his foot to it. Well, I was new there. I didn't know. Was this some ritual? Had I joined a cult? But I didn't know what was going on. What she was saying was, if you don't deal with this, it's going to bite you. And if I left it there for a day, she had a bigger alligator that she would put in there until finally she had this massive one that was bigger than the box that she would just lay on top of the box. And she was waiting on you when you came in the office. She said, call the man, right? Deal with this. That's what happens when you don't confess your sins. When you get in a press where you really need to do good business with God, God in his mercy will help you. But I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing like having open access to God. Knowing that your sins are forgiven, there's nothing between there. I remember Charles Stanley years ago, he says, I've got two responsibilities as your pastor, many, but too cheap with my own life. I want to keep this vessel in working order to the best of my ability so I can say yes when God says do this or do that. And I need to keep this channel open. I need to make sure nothing gets in the way. Don't wait until you don't have the strength to cry out. Confess your sins. Don't wait until the floodwaters come. When you are overwhelmed, you can easily become overcome. If you're not walking in the Spirit, the waters will still come. Calamity and tribulation, Jesus promised it. It's the promise from Jesus we like the least from John 14, where he says, In this world you shall have tribulation. But it will come. The question is, if you deal with your sin... It doesn't have to undermine your faith. You can set yourself up to steward that moment of suffering and tribulation. You've heard me say it before. You can set it up to either be a pulpit for you to proclaim the goodness of God, or it'll be a pit for you to fall into. That's up to you. It's not up to the Lord. And I can promise you this. If you will surrender that guilt to the Lord, when trouble comes, you can stand on that pulpit and proclaim the goodness of our God and King. Verse 7, if you glance there, you'll know that he's saying, remember that the believer, the disciple, knows that his only hiding, we don't need to hide behind our sins, our only hiding needs to be in the Lord. We get the New Testament glimpse of this. Colossians 3, the Bible says, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. He sets up this little section by talking to the godly folks. He says, it, it tells us when he says, let everyone who is godly, he tells us that he's writing primarily to believers. Non-believers often don't have the slightest twinge of conscience when they sin. Have you ever met someone with a seared conscience? Have you ever met someone that you wonder how in the world can they not see that what they're doing is wrong? There are places all over Charlotte. There are places in your neighborhood that would fit that description. 
These are folks that don't have a conscience. They're like the folks spoken of in Nineveh. They don't know their left hand from their right hand morally. We see the burden of guilt. We see relief of confession, wisdom and advice for the forgiven. Now look at the offer of forgiveness in verses 8 and 9. Look at how this bridges to the instruction. The Lord says, I'll instruct you, I'll teach you. Don't be like a horse or a mule. It's got to be curbed with a bit. Listen, friend, the Holy Spirit will teach you to obey and walk in the way of the righteous. A horse or a mule doesn't obey without a bit to turn them this way or that. That bit is the heavy hand of God and guilt. Don't wait for that to be the bit. Be sensitive to sin. Stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. God wants you to understand His ways and to walk in Him by your own will, which He's redeemed. David is thinking of godly people like him, though, who have fallen into sin. You're tempted when you do that to stay silent. You are tempted because you're ashamed. You might even be angry with yourself. You don't want to face God. You don't want to face others. You don't want any accountability in your life. You don't want to admit what you've done like Adam and Eve. When God wants to walk with you and talk with you, you run to hide and fill your mind up with endless entertainment loops so that you don't have to deal with the problem. You need to deal with it, friend. If not, you may be able, you may find yourself rather in a position where you're not able to deal with it tomorrow. Sin is tricky. It's slippery. Left unconfessed, it will harden your heart. If you hide your sin, your conscience can be calloused and you can have an unbelieving heart, the Bible says in Hebrews 3. Deal with it. In the 14th century, Robert Bruce of Scotland was leading his men in a battle to gain independence from England. Near the end of the conflict, the English wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from the Scottish crown. So they went and got his own bloodhounds and put him on the trail. When the bloodhounds were getting closer, Bruce could hear their baying and his attendant that was with him said, we're done for. They're on your trail. They're going to reveal our hiding place. And Bruce replied, it's all right. It's all right. Then he ran for the stream that he could see that flowed through the forest. He plunged in and waded upstream for a short distance. When he came out on the other bank, he was in the depths of the forest. Within minutes, those dogs, those hounds tracing their master's steps came right up to the bank of that water. But then they went no further. The trail was broken. The English soldiers prodded them, they kicked them, they yelled at them, but they lost the scent. The stream had carried the scent away. A short time later, the crown of Scotland rested on the head of Robert Bruce. Listen carefully, friend. I know you're already there, but the memory of our sins and that guilt coming after us like dogs, when we confess our sins and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our sins, a stream flows red with blood from God's own son. By grace, through faith, we are safe. No sin hound can touch us. The trail is broken by the precious blood of Christ. Look at the final note here this morning from our text. The results of forgiveness. The last two verses. Many of the sorrows are the wicked. 
But the steadfast love, there it is again, the hesed, we talked about this, it's shown up time and time again, that unfailing love of God surrounds the righteous. We shout for joy, we're blessed, we're forgiven, we're clean, we're attentive, we're loved, we're glad, we're upright. This is God's blessing for us, it's from God's hand. This psalm is at the heart of the gospel. God has counted us righteous in Christ, those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've confessed our sins. He's forgiven our sins. Blessed are those, the Bible says, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his own sin. This final verse is a loud verse, y'all. It's a loud verse. I could cup my mic, hand over the mic and yell it, but that, you get it. It's loud enough. It's a loud verse. Speaking of Father's Day, our God, our steadfast, covenant-loving God is loving us with His wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreakable, always-and-forever love. It's like the Father waiting on the porch to welcome home the prodigal son or daughter. Trust Him. He, he will forgive your sins. He wants to surround you with His love in this sea of sadness and anger guilt that we know as culture today. There are three different types of sin mentioned at the beginning, three different types of forgiveness, and there's three shouts for the forgiven here at the end. Be glad in the Lord. Well, that affects your demeanor, doesn't it? Rejoice. Well, that affects your conduct, I think, in the house of God. And shout for joy. Open your mouth and tell the Lord thank you that you've been forgiven. The pardoned, I believe, biblically, cannot stay silent about their current state of affairs. We've been made righteous by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we respond to the passage this morning? Friend, if you're struggling with guilt today, I would ask you this, is it crushing? Are you bent to the point of breaking beneath the load of sin? You don't have to leave that way. God in his kindness may have his heavy hand on you today, pressing your conscience. This misery can be for your good. Hiding results in callousness and corruption. Confession is the only way to blessing. Surrender today to the Lord of our guilt. Trust him today. Repent of your sin today. Put your faith in Christ alone because of the finished work of Calvary. He can bring you a blessing that's worth shouting about called forgiveness. Now, word to my brother and sister in Christ today. We're not perfect. The Holy Spirit still convicts us. It's a reminder that God loves us and cares for us and wants what's best for us when he makes us miserable in our sin. He wants what's best for us, which is death to self. My prayer is that we'll stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and sensitive to sin. Somebody once said, David was good at sinning, but he was better at repenting. And that's why he was a man after God's own heart. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life this morning that you need to deal with? Any wrong that you need to right? First with God and then with someone else. We're going to close right now with looking at two verses in Psalm 139. If you've got your Bible, I want you to flip over to Psalm 139. I'm going to say it, and 
I'm going to ask you to pray it. And we're going to have just a moment of silence so that you can do that. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Next week, we're going to spend some time in this psalm, which concludes with this invitation to the all-seeing, all-knowing, but loving Father to bring to the surface anything needed. For some of you, that guilt is from God. You have unconfessed sin you need to deal with. Some of the rest of you may be struggling with guilt that's not from the Lord. Because we have a culture right now that's wanting to lay guilt on people who are not guilty. We are responsible to repent of our sins. We are responsible, I believe biblically, to do the right thing even when culture does the wrong thing. We're responsible to engage this world biblically. And with a biblical worldview, disciples living out their faith the way the Bible says living out their faith, there would be no outcry for social justice from the church. If we were living out the righteousness of God, all those itches would be scratched. But what happens? A humanitarian construct gets built, laid, says if you're not doing these things, you're not doing anything. Well, make no mistake and hear your pastor this morning, Grace Covenant Church. We're not going to do nothing. But as a church, can I give you the charge? Make disciples, making disciples who live out the gospel. And let's diversify our living rooms and our dining room tables and change the world. Look at the text, Psalm 139. Some of you have guilt this morning that's from the Lord. Some of you need to release guilt that somebody else has put on you that is not yours because you're forgiven. Can you read it with me? You may have a different version. It's fine. The Lord knows it's supposed to be in the ESV. Let's read it together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to ask you to boldly pray that to the Lord right now. If the guilt is from God, He'll shine his spotlight on the sin that you're to confess, that you've committed. And the results of guilt being dealt with, it'll result in a clean conscience, peace with God, joy, and a desire to worship God and to serve others in a way that really puts a period in the argument. Father, Take your word and pierce us. You are the Lord of our lives and the Lord of our guilt this morning. We give it to you and thank you for forgiveness in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Let's stand.